Reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John chapter 20, beginning at the 19th verse. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails on my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them, although the doors were shut. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Good morning. Everyone nice and warm in their masks? Yes. It's a strange thing trying to sing with a mask on. It's um, something we're all getting used to. Um, but it is for a season, we hope and we pray. We come to a passage today that for many of us, uh, I know for myself, I can see myself in it, either as a disciple or as Thomas. The response from the disciples, the response from Thomas in this passage is, is very normal. Very normal responses, very human responses. It's natural to be afraid. It's actually natural to doubt. It's normal and it's okay. I think sometimes as Christians we feel we need to put on the perfect face and, and pretend that everything is all right. We're not encouraged to do that in Scripture. We're encouraged to be real. We're encouraged to live lives of honesty, of truth with others, to share our fears and our doubts. The disciples had gathered in a room. They were afraid. They'd locked the doors. If your king had just been killed, hung up on a cross and crucified, I think it quite likely we might hide away in a room too and lock the doors. They were afraid. And when we're afraid, we often try and hide behind blocks as well, figurative or real. They were afraid of retribution from the Jews, afraid they might be pulled up on similar charges as accomplices of Jesus and what he had been doing. And I bet some of them 
although grief-stricken because of what had happened, they were probably angry as well. They were probably angry. This, this is not what they had planned. Their friend, their Lord, their King, even though He told them He was going to the cross, it's not what they expected. And when grief hits us, sometimes we get angry. And that's normal too. It's okay. I wonder if for you in the last year, something has not gone to plan. Something you hoped would happen. The good news is that just as this was not the end for the disciples, it's not the end for us either. Jesus appeared and stood among them, resurrected. What an incredible thing. Jesus appeared, resurrected. This is amazing. This is incredible. This is what Easter was last week, a celebration of the resurrection. But there's also another miracle that occurred here. Jesus appeared in a locked room, seemingly bypassed the locks, just drifted through the door. Jesus, amazing. And he said to them some very powerful words. He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And it's repeated a few times in our reading today. And in Scripture, whenever words are repeated, there's a real deliberate purpose for this. And we see words repeated. It's to remind us. It's a literary device to make us ponder and think. Other places, other words in Scripture, such as holy, 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 there's an emphasis because of the repeat. And this greeting from Jesus is multi-layered. It's enforced because he says it again and again and again. But it was also a familiar greeting for the Jewish people. Peace. The shalom. A common way to meet and greet. More than that, Jesus himself appearing to them. He was to become. He was. Sorry, not to become. I shouldn't say that. He was their peace. He made peace for them on the cross. He was offering them peace in that moment. And to be a little bit uh, pointed this morning, He offers you peace. No matter what you face right now, Jesus is saying to you afresh this morning, through the pages of Scripture, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And He says it, of course, again, peace be with you to the disciples. But He adds this time, a little caveat to the end. He says, peace be with you, and as my Father has sent me, so even, even so I am sending you. As my Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is a commissioning, a sending out. It's sometimes overlooked in the Gospel of John because it happens so quickly, and we rush on to the next section about Thomas, which we will get to, by the way. But this is really important in the context of John's Gospel. It's significant because Jesus was the sent one, sent by the Father to humanity, and in turn commissions his disciples to be sent, to share God's love and forgiveness. This is, in effect, John's version of the Great Commission that we find in Matthew 28 and in Mark 16, with a lot more words and a bit more explanation. But essentially, it is the same thing. It's also quietly the culmination of the mission for which Jesus was sent. It's mission accomplished at this point. Jesus came for a task. He came with a job to do. And he completed that task. 
And now he hands on the baton. And not only does he hand on the baton to his disciples, but he also hands it on to us today. We are sent people. We are sent to share the love, the forgiveness, the message of the cross with others. This victory has been won, and we celebrated this last week at Easter. The culmination of Jesus' mission to earth was his death and resurrection. That means forgiveness available to all who believe. A new and living way through faith in trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. And it keeps us on task and centered when we remember that this is our job too. We are commissioned to share the love of God. To tell others about our faith to share what He has done in our hearts and our lives. And we don't do this alone. We do this in the power of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said would come, who would help us, guide us, that we would be empowered in this Christian life. And Jesus, Jesus breathes upon the disciples here and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Very deliberate. They are empowered. They're being sent and empowered. And this isn't to say that what happened in this moment in Scripture is the fullness of the Holy Spirit's work in the disciples, because that happens later. We read that in the book of Acts, chapter 2. But this is a foretaste. This is the beginning of the empowerment for them to go and spread the message of the gospel to the rest of the world, which is what they do, which is why we sit here today. We have the joy of seeing the beginnings here, the start of where the message started to spread. They didn't do it on their own. They did it in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, in walking with God, in trusting the leading of the Spirit, being empowered. And a relationship with the Holy Spirit is key to us spreading our own faith, to sharing with others, because sometimes we don't know the right words, but the Spirit can give us the right words in the right moment at the right time, give us the boldness to share when perhaps we might feel timid. It allows us to trust that God will take what our words might not convey and go to that next level of depth and meaning in the heart and lives of others. We are to be empowered as we live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not meant to be weird. There is a moment for us to know that this is true even as we sit here right at this very moment. Sit in the stillness of knowing that the peace of God, the Holy Spirit, is with you right now. As you sit in this room, as you watch online, the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart and your life. And we talked before Easter quite a bit about the Holy Spirit. He is the one who comes alongside, and the Greek word is the paraclete, para meaning to come alongside. He supports us in our time of need. And Marianne also shared and reminded us that the Spirit is at work in so many myriad of different ways in the Christian life. Yes, through conviction of when we have done wrong in sin, but also in knowing the truth, righteousness, and judging correctly. And as we trust and follow the lead and guide of the Holy Spirit, we grow, we change, we transform more into the people that God is calling us to be as we embrace the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, as we trust the gifts of the Spirit that Paul talks about, we are empowered to live. 
Now we come to another very important person in our passage today, a really important one. It is the Apostle Thomas. That's right, the Apostle Thomas. Oh, it's not, that's not the Apostle Thomas. I don't know how that got there. He's a good guy though, Thomas the Tank Engine. Good guy. I'm sorry, I have little kids. This is a byproduct of having little kids. Thomas is life in our household. But Thomas the Tank Engine actually uh, is, is actually a really great show. I don't know if you've seen it recently. But Thomas the Tank Engine is known for learning good lessons and making mistakes and learning from them. Uh, despite the fact that he's not an apostle, Thomas the Tank Engine, tank engine is, uh, is a good model for where we are going this morning. Someone who makes mistakes, someone who struggles but perseveres. Thomas, the apostle, is perhaps unfairly labelled the doubter in our passage today. Perhaps unfairly labelled the doubter. I wonder how you might respond if you were in Thomas's position. If your friends came to you and said, you weren't there, you were off getting bread and milk, Thomas, but Jesus appeared. We're not pulling your leg, it actually happened. I wonder how we would respond. Possibly with a fair amount of doubt, a fair amount of uncertainty. See, doubt can be a little bit like a train. When you get on the doubt train, there's clear reason to do so. Stations to get off the doubt train aren't necessarily close together or nearby. When we doubt, the track is set. The train is going in a certain direction, and if there's passengers on the doubt train with us, we're all going to the same destination. And if someone wants to change the direction of the doubt train, then there will need to be some pretty compelling evidence and reason to do so. Pretty compelling evidence. Because doubt is a good thing. You won't hear many preachers say that. Doubt is a good thing. We respond with doubt when the evidence we are presented with is not compelling. Because we want to be certain that what we hear is true and not false. We want to know the truth. And this is why we respond with doubt, because we're unsure. And we want to be sure, beyond any reasonable doubt. We want to be sure. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to doubt God. At times we struggle in life and we struggle in faith. There are valleys and troughs. Sometimes God does not seem as near as he once was. There are seasons of difficulty. Sometimes we don't name this in church life because it's hard. But doubt is a normal response. But when we doubt, it is incredibly crucial that we don't stay on the doubt train that we continue to ask questions and look for answers. Otherwise, we will find ourselves rolling off into the sunset, staying on the doubt train. There are answers for us when we doubt. There are answers for us in the pages of Scripture. Sometimes not as clear as perhaps we would like, but there are answers for us in the stories in the teachings of Jesus. 
there is truth to be known, to be held, to be experienced. We should be turning to the pages of Scripture. I'm actually quite known for putting pictures of Bibles on screens these days. But it's pretty important. We are people of the book as Christian people. We have a place to go when looking for answers. For Thomas, his moment of truth was coming. His moment of truth was coming. And how awesome that moment was. He was with the disciples this time. Interesting to note that even though Thomas didn't believe their account, he still stayed. He still stayed with his friends. He still gathered with them. As I'm sure they worshipped and continued because they had seen the risen Christ. Even though he doubted, he stayed. There's an important lesson for us to learn in that. To persist, to persevere, to push through when it doesn't necessarily feel like we think it should. Jesus appeared and he said those words, peace be with you. And he told Thomas to do just as Thomas had said. Strange that he knew exactly what Thomas had asked. Put your hands where the marks are, Jesus said. Touch my side where the spear went. This was compelling evidence for Thomas. Thomas had wanted it and it was supplied in full. Here is Jesus in front of him, risen from the dead in bodily form, with all of the marks of crucifixion still upon him. Thomas responds, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. This is not a concession by Thomas, it's a declaration, it's a statement of wonder. My Lord and my God, the answers, the truth had been revealed to Thomas. The doubt train was gone. It had been derailed. It's disappeared. Jesus as both Lord and God, not a mere man only, not just a good moral teacher, but God standing before him. There's a sense of wonder when we encounter the risen Christ. We may or may not see him physically in this life. I don't think we will. There's some reasons for that. But there is great wonder when we experience Jesus. We have in Jesus one who is unlike any other, and yet so much like us. He humbled himself and took the form of a humble servant in order to bear the weight of our sin. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He understands what it is to be human, and he understands our doubt. Our fear, our worry, our anxiety. The incarnation is the greatest miracle the world has ever known. The forming of God and man in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we experience Jesus, we join Thomas in the wonder of saying, my Lord and my God. And it doesn't end there for us. We also receive the blessing of believing The blessing of faith. That might sound a little bit strange, but Jesus at the end of our passage today says, blessed are those who see without seeing. Hmm, believe without seeing. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. 
Jesus was not commending blind adherence here, just following blindly, not looking at the facts. What he was doing was he was commending faith. Faith is the road. Faith is the path. Faith as the way through doubt and to Jesus. It's by faith that we live, not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. Jesus commends faith as the greater than physically seeing. And this is where we come back almost full circle to see that faith is the message that we are asked to share. We are sent to share the message of faith so that those who doubt can believe. And when we doubt, we can believe. Faith is the bedrock of this covenant that Jesus sealed for us. It's by faith that we're able to accept the grace of God, accept forgiveness of sins, and knowing that it is not ourselves that does anything to achieve this, but it is purely the gift of God, lest anyone should boast, Paul says in Ephesians. Faith is a beautiful gift, and we see it here in Thomas. True wonder and faith. It is the treasure that we hold inside of us, that we have the joy of sharing with others. We are a part of the sending. I want to encourage us today that our job here on earth is to share our faith. Not keep it hidden. Put it on a lampstand. The world might see. Do not doubt, but believe. Amen.